Hello and welcome to the City Collective podcast. This is the place where you can hear the latest sermon from our Sunday services and follow up conversations around teachings within our church. Today we'll be expanding on the topic of prayer. My name is Stephen Mossad. And my name is Samuel Ravensbergen. We believe prayer is foundational to our journey with God. At the same time, we know that prayer is not always straightforward. This past Sunday, we began a series on the topic of prayer. And given that this is a massive topic, we expect that questions may have arisen. Our focus today will be addressing some of those questions. These include, do my prayers matter? What do I do with unanswered prayers? What does it look like to listen to God? And how do we engage in prayer? As part of today's podcast, Pastor Jason will be joining us as we discuss some of these questions. So before we hear from Pastor Jason, I just want to quickly read a quote from C.S. Lewis's The Magician's Nephew. But please, please, won't you? Can't you give me something that will cure mother? Up till then, he had been looking at the lion's great feet at the huge claws on them. Now, in his despair, he looked up at his face. What he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near his own, and wonders of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. There were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own, that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. My son, my son, said Aslan, I know, grief is great. Hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I think it leads us really well into that question, do my prayers matter? Even in this fictional story, we can resonate with that feeling. Could you please Mm. answer my prayer? Could you please give me that response that I am craving, longing for, desiring? I feel that in Diggory's words and long for that response from myself and looking at the lion and seeing the tears in those eyes. It's beautiful. Yeah. The tears in his eyes. I mean, like the draw for me to want to see Jesus face in prayer, to, to, to know that as I'm praying, you know, that, that face of love, the, the one who laid his life down, um, the one who knows the grief, who knows, and and actually experiences the that depth of grief greater than myself greater than possibly I ever could is it just it changes everything it it changes it changes my heart it, it that that's the transformation that like seeing his character evident mm. in how he engages with the things I care about these words from Lewis they like beautifully represent that longing of prayer. Yeah. Do my prayers matter? Yeah, it's interesting because even in the novel, uh, Diggory doesn't actually get what he wants. He um, he prays for, he prays for healing, uh, but his mother doesn't get healed. But his whole perception of Aslan is changed. And he feels as though his prayer has been answered because Aslan was a greater answer yeah. than the cure of his mother. And I think um, that's quite powerful because it, it also addresses the question, what is prayer? Mm-hmm. And uh, compared to what we in the 21st century out in the West consider prayer to be, they don't always seem the same. 
like some people see it as a transaction while others see it as a way yeah. to commune with God. That the question, does my prayer matter is, is personal. Uh, I think it's communal. I think it's, it's, we've seen throughout Christian history, the, the manner in which that has impacted the way that we have treated one another, the way that we have walked our, our journeys of faith. Mm-hmm. I know for myself, I've asked that question before, come to that place in that moment of grief and ask, do my prayers matter? And as time has gone and I've had more of those moments where I've asked that question, I find myself led to even considering what is my narrative of God? Who do I believe God to be in the midst of that question? Do my prayers matter? And and Lewis engages with that mm. right up front. Yeah, he he is painting this picture of the the narrative of Aslan for Diggory. And for us as as followers of Jesus, what do we what do we hold as our narrative of God? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, the narrative we hold of someone, uh, whether it be God or a, a person, is really important in how we perceive their response right. or at least the heart behind yeah. their response to us. Um, uh, I think a good example would be, um, so let's pretend, I'm going to emphasize pretend, um, that Pastor Jason uh, is a mean person and he doesn't care about me. If I hold that narrative of Pastor Jason and then one day I call out to him, let's say at church, passing by and I say hi and he doesn't respond, that lack of response I will interpret as him intentionally ignoring me because of the narrative I hold. However, um, what is true of Jason and the narrative I hold of Pastor Jason currently is that he is my friend and he cares about me. So I will interpret that lack of response as simply him not hearing me. And so I will call out again, hi, Pastor Jason. And sure enough, he will turn around and answer. And I think it's the same thing with God. It's like, do our prayers matter? Well, that depends. How do you perceive God? They definitely matter to God regardless. But how we feel about that is determined by the narrative we hold of God. Yeah. There can be some dissonance right there. Yeah, exactly. What we believe God feels in that moment. We believe that God says our prayers matter. That's what the scriptures tell us. Simultaneously, our feelings can make it feel inconsequential, that the words that we're saying don't actually resonate resonate in that way. It's almost like in a relationship. Uh, I, I know for Adriana and I, we always talk about this idea of even when we're arguing, when we're trying to communicate with one another, we want to hold yeah. this paradigm of we believe the best. And it's really difficult, actually. When you feel like you're arguing about something and someone has, has wronged you or they've said something that's hurt you, it's hard to hold on to this idea of believing the best, but it is a dramatic transformation of yeah. the relationship when that is held. That's on a relational level with my wife. How much more is that needed in my relationship with God? And in our culture where cancel culture runs rampant, where we're quick to actually put people down. Um, That's actually like a value that if we can knock someone off of their pedestal, uh, we're doing a culture, a service actually. That approach does not believe the best. No wonder we've lost that ability to believe that about God because we can't even hold that about others. The people that we see on a day-to-day basis, how quick we are to turn on them and it 
has seeped yeah. into our relationship with God, I would say, and into our relationship with prayer. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the reason Jesus was nailed to the cross. He came preaching a God that loves, and the religious leaders of the time went, no, he's a God that demands. He's a God mm. that mm. that requires yeah. that uh, that we perform, that, that we be a certain way and, and do certain things. And because uh, if we don't do that, then then obviously there's punishment and there's, you know, that, that exacted justice immediately. Even and I seeing, think, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I just, I think that like this question of like timing, I know it's such a platitude, oh, it's all in God's timing. But when we, when we, when the, when the journey of, of learning that our prayers matter and that, that God is a God who, who is, tr- who can be trusted with, our requests, who can be trusted with our, our very lives. Faith is believing that regardless of circumstance, regardless of feeling, regardless of experience. Faith faith is, is being in the desert and in that place, developing a trust in a God who has given you the promised land. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's the battle of the Christian. Mm. Is, is to determine that the experience of, of brokenness, that the experience of corruption and darkness is, is nothing. It's, it's, a, it's a lie. It's a momentary vapor. It's, it's, a, it's a, a breath. And then, and then there is the eternal living God who is good and just and loving and has given everything that we may know him and, and be close to him. Mm-hmm. When we can hook our faith in that, regardless of what it accomplishes or doesn't accomplish in in a momentary experience, then we can actually have heaven on earth. Mm. Prayer does so much more than simply the words that we're saying. Yeah. And our view of God very much impacts our prayer. Yeah. But there's a reason why so much of the teachings of Jesus is is outlining who we are to be as his followers and who God is in the midst of the world. Because mm. I, sure. I think prayer in many ways, if it is done in a way that follows Jesus, prayer is rebellion. Hmm. Prayer is rebellion against this narrative from culture and from society that says uh, God is going to treat the world in a specific way and demand specific things of me. Yeah. And only if I approach it in this way, will I find any success or find any response. But prayer in a way that honors God prayer in a way that sees God for who he is, uh, enters into relationship. It's, uh, there's a quote from mother Teresa that says prayer enlarges the heart until it's capable of containing the gift, God's gift of himself. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. That prayer is is not meant to be transactional no. or about the response. Prayer is about relationship. And so to to speak out in prayer, it's it's rebelling against that idea of everything I do is about the furthering of my desire, of my initiative. It's it's actually trying to be in relationship with God. We need a, we need a, we need to have a shift. Yeah of what prayer is and who God is and what a powerful intersection of those thoughts uh, prayer actually then becomes then. Yeah, Andrew Murray, um, a 19th century South African writer, once said, 
The power of prayer depends almost entirely upon our apprehension of who it is with whom we speak. When life hurts, it becomes more important than ever to cry out to God like a child on the swing, remembering that he is the first and foremost Abba Father. Yeah. And I think it's, um, this is also reflected in, our, in Diggory's response to Aslan. He looks at his paws and the claws of a great lion. You know, that's how they hunt. They, you know, they dig their uh, claws into the prey and, you know, they do their thing. Um, but then he looks up at his face and it's Aslan crying. He's grieving on his behalf. He's grieving with him in as um as a friend, as a father, as you know, well, as then is representing God. So as God, he's grieving on behalf of Diggory. And it's just such a powerful thing. And it's like, yeah, who we do like who we do actually comprehend God to be is how we respond and dictate if um our prayers do matter. And to see that then those tears and say, okay, our prayers matter is one thing. It's something completely different to see those tears and then experience what takes place in the book where the prayer is unanswered. Yeah. It's a difficult place to find yourself in. And we're left with that question is what do we do with unanswered prayer? Yeah. 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 But I, I feel like, like the answer is kind of in the question of like, when, when we perceive the face of Jesus, he becomes, you know, the, the, the shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. I have no wants. I I lack nothing. And I, I think the, the reason unanswered prayer can be so difficult sometimes is because we need the answer so badly. And, and even when there, there's deep hurt and loss and grief that, that we might be coming to the Lord with in, in our prayers, when we discover him, the grief may remain and, and actually become more full, more, more wholesome. But what gets removed is, is the, the need, the base, uh, dare I say, carnal need that we have for for something in our flesh to be fulfilled because we see the one who has fulfilled every aspect of who we are. Mm. We see that, that he's, he's, he's experiencing the grief with us and then everything else bleeds away. Yeah. I would say that there are definitely moments though, that it doesn't feel carnal or it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's the wrong thing to have wanted. Yeah. It's, it just feels unjust. Yeah. feels unfair. It feels like it, it's going to hurt forever. And my view of God may have moved to a healthy place. I might be entering into prayer in a healthy way, but I'm still left with that feeling of, oh man, my prayer was not answered. Yeah, uh, I think, think Pete Gregg talks about some ways in which we can deal with this question. Um, some ways in which we can deal with unanswered prayer. And I think the first one that I want us to to take a look at is this idea of God's world. Maybe you can speak to that one, Steve. Yeah, so uh, in Pete Gregg's book, um, God on Mute, he outlines um, sort of three spheres um, or three topics in which um, he sort of provides possible reasons that our prayers may not be answered. And they... 
those three ideas are God's world, uh, God's wall, and God's will. So in God's world, it's like, um, obviously, we believe God's the creator of the universe, and so he has placed certain things to govern, such as laws of nature, uh, for example, gravity, um, certain cycles of seasons, and so on. And so something we need to keep in mind is, when we, what are we actually praying for? Are we praying that God bends the laws of nature, which he has put in place to govern? Are we asking, for example, God, I don't want to fall as I jump off this bridge. Um, take gravity away. Like, well, what are you? What are you actually asking? And so, I think as well, something to keep in mind is, um, what we pray for will impact everyone also. So, a classic example is um, there's a couple getting married on a farm, and they're praying for a bright sunny day. However, um, on the neighboring farm. The farmer is praying for rain because there's drought. There's been a 10-year drought. Now, this is an actual thing uh, back home. We had nearly a 15-year drought, and it was uh, it got pretty bad. Yeah. And so this is like, what does God do? One prays for rain, one prays for, for sunshine. Whichever one he responds to, both will experience. So either both experience rain or both experience sunshine. And so that's sort of the idea behind God's world. It's like, we need to realize that um, God executes um, his, uh, re- or our response to prayer, he'll execute over all of creation. Yeah. And then oftentimes we need to be mindful of how do we perceive God? Do we have a healthy doctrine of God? Oftentimes our doctrine of God it has been heavily influenced by pop culture or just uh cultural Christianity, which isn't reflective of who God is and who God is revealed to be in the Bible. And so we approach God with false assumptions and false expectations. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, uh, I highly recommend reading um, Pete Gregg's book, um, God on Mute. Very helpful. And um, I think something to preface is that these are only possible reasons. Yeah. But it just, Mm -hmm. it helps us. It's not to say that God can't defy the laws of nature to answer yeah. a prayer, but if your prayer is going unanswered, this may be a possible reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Laws of nature. We live in a broken world. Life is tough, and there's we're subjected to like frustration in the midst of it all. You're right. There's that. That is a big piece of of trying to deal with the question yeah. of unanswered prayer. Uh, you mentioned that the second idea was was God's war. Maybe you can speak to that. Well, I mean, it, like the the term war, right away for me, conjures this image of of the enemy, right? Spiritual warfare, mm-hmm. the devil, um, and mm-hmm. that obviously it, that's a big part of kind of what's happening on a spiritual level around us all, all the time. But I think something that I often forget, and and that the Spirit has kind of been teaching me about, is that like the devil has not been given any permissions from God that God did not say, Hey devil, why don't you go rule the earth? Why don't you go mess with my creation? Um, God gave us the earth to rule over and subdue. It, It was our command. And then in the garden, when Adam and Eve obeyed the word of the serpent, they gave the serpent, the authority to to take on certain 
certain positions in the earth. I, I, I think about in, uh, I think it's Luke 4, uh, the temptation of Jesus, where the devil takes him up to a high place and shows him all, all the kingdoms of the world. And, and he, he makes a statement. He says, all these have been given to me. So often I think like when we're coming up against an, an unanswered prayer and, and our, our inclination is to think, well, it may be spiritual warfare. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's, there needs to be a recognition, I think, and, and I've discovered this in, in my own walk and, and had experiences with it, that it's not just the devil is doing stuff. It's that there's something going on in my life. There's something going on in my heart and, and the permissions that I may have inadvertently um, given to, to the enemy to have place in my life and, and to put up walls and create obstacles um, between myself and, and having prayers answered. Um, so it's just that, that kind of twofold understanding that it's, it's not just the devil's doing stuff. We have a massive part to play in the war and, and there needs to be, I think, Paul said it. He was very clear. I, I don't remember what letter, but he's like, I, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters. We need to be aware. We need to understand our part to play in the war. Um, mm-hmm. And that, of course, we have all the resource. We have all the armor. We have all the, the weapons of warfare that we need, um, namely the power of Jesus' name. Um, but just, yeah, kind of grasping that, because I, I think in the church, it it's easy to just be like, oh, there's something wrong. It must be the devil. Attribute it. And, and we don't want to confuse uh, authority with opposition. I think sometimes we can put almost uh, God and the enemy on, on equal footing. Yeah. And that's not what the scriptures say. No. Uh, authority lies with God. Mm. But that doesn't mean opposition doesn't exist. That's right. And so that's what I think you often face in that spiritual warfare and those kind of spaces. But I also love when we see people, I don't know if you've come across individuals that you like have a conversation with them and they're praying and you're like, man, that, that, that's a prayer. Yeah. That, that's a prayer that's going to get answered. Yeah. And there's this, there's this combination of someone who's been in the word, who's been in their, in their prayer closet, quote unquote, who's, who's leaned in, in their faith over and over again, who are living with integrity that it seems that their prayers have like this exceptional weight before God. And there's an honesty and a transparency to it that when they're leaning in they're they're part of fighting this battle alongside a good God that's working through them uh, in the world. And yet when the prayer does go unanswered or when there's a moment where there is loss, uh, you still, you still feel like there is relationship there for them to continue fighting. Yeah. To continue going. Yeah. I think when our relationship with God is right, James, he, he puts it this way, our prayers will be more powerful and effective, particularly in like the realms of healing and those kind of different spaces. But we're not, doing prayer specifically to get the response. Yeah. It's, it's in the space of relationship. Well, and I think when we're talking about something like unanswered prayers, there's so much uncertainty inherent in that topic. And I think one of the absolutes that we can count on is that God's will always wins. Mm. 
God's heart, God's love, God's kingdom always wins. Yeah. And so prayer is not, you know, when we're engaging with unanswered prayer and kind of thinking about it in the context of God's war, prayer is not about fighting the opposition or, or you know, turning towards, we can turn our perspective towards what may be going wrong. Prayer becomes then about discovering and aligning mm. ourselves with God's will and God's heart. And God's will was that third idea from Pete Gregg. Yeah. Yep. How does God's will interact with, with our wills that are at play? Um, and even the, the prayer that we're diving into as a church, mm. uh, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, this, this beautiful prayer that's given as, as a model of how we speak and talk and interact in our relationship with God, that there is this God with authority and with power and with sovereignty to rule over the world. And in his will, he desires for his people to, to be in full relationship with him. And then simultaneously, love is only possible where free will exists. And love is at the heart of the universe. It's at the center of the universe, this community of God where love exists gives free will to us as human beings. And so the interaction of will of the will of God and our will, it's the chaos of the world kind of in motion. Yeah. And I think, um, even in that prayer, um, the Lord's prayer, as Jesus teaches it, he says, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he's assuming that heaven is the place where God's will is done Mm -hmm. all the time. And earth is the place where God's will is done sometimes. And so just based on that simple understanding, it's like, okay, well, there are other wills at play. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we need to be aware of. Um, And like, so I know there's roughly 7 billion people on the earth. Um, A lot of wills at play. Yeah, exactly. And they all have a body to Mm -hmm. enforce that will. Mm -hmm. Some of those wills, a minority of them, are bent towards God. Mm -hmm. But a majority of them are bent bent away from God. Mm -hmm. And so it is true with spiritual beings, if you want to call them angels or demons or whoever. Some are bent towards God and some are bent away from God. And they have the ability to enforce that. Mm -hmm. And so, like we said before, um, there is opposition. That doesn't mean it's equal to that of God or the ability of God, um, but there is a form of opposition. Yeah. Um, I think it's just uh, it's important to be mindful of if there are other wills at play and if there is spiritual warfare that is occurring, what is my will at this point in time? And does is it bent towards God and, or is it bent away from God? Like what? where is the heart of my request? And is it, Simply a transaction where I'm rubbing, you know, the genie bottle asking for my three wishes, or is it, am I trying to commune with God and gain a deeper understanding of his will so I can execute it as one of his advocates, as one of his children? Yeah, there's a deep sense of mystery in all of it as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> these are these are definitely possibilities why prayers go unanswered. And there's also moments of incredible heartbreak and hurt that feel unfair, where the mystery of it lies outside of our understanding and our, our ability to, to comprehend the moment. But to understand that prayer is is not a way to control our life. Prayer is, prayer is not a... It's, it's not a 
a weapon to to throw at people. In fact, prayer is part of the way that we might love and care for others through things yeah. like intercessory prayer. Mm. And prayer is a is a manner in which we approach that posture of surrender. Prayer is all those things. Um, and in the mystery of it all, we're invited to to discover that in relationship with God. Yeah, and I think it's um, like a big part of discerning God's will so we can execute it, right? So we, generally speaking, we want our will to be in line with God's. And as we pray, we want that to become singular and in the same direction. A big part of that is listening to God and the dialogue that we have. And so I, I think a good question is, um, how do we speak to God? That's, uh, yeah. How do we speak to? How do we listen? Yeah. How do we engage? How do we have that dialogue? Um, how do we commune? Because hmm. I think it's fair to say that a big part of um, Western culture, or at least cultural Christianity out here, is that prayer is a place where I get to execute my will through God answering my prayer. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's not what we want. Yeah. That's not what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Mm-hmm. God is not here to just simply serve our will. We're here to um, bring out the kingdom of God on on earth. And so, yeah, a big part of that is dialogue. So, yeah, how do we how do we listen to God? And there's two sides of dialogue, right? It's speaking and yes, sir. listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The speaking part comes easy to us, I think. <laughs> I, I think we, we feel like we know how to talk to God often. Yeah. We got, even if we're not vocally saying it in our minds, there's narratives that are playing out often that are trying to commune with God for, like Steve was saying, our benefit, for our will, for our purposes. But so much of the biblical narrative around prayer is about listening, in fact, mm. yeah. quieting ourselves, of finding that space where we can be outside of trying to direct God's will and more hear God's will, That's right. to, to hear his voice. Part of the challenge of that might actually be, do we believe that God still speaks? Yeah. Are you going to listen for something that you don't believe is actually taking place? Or are we like a child that will call for our parent, mm. knowing that our parent is in the other room and that kid keeps on calling out? It's like like Mia at, at night, if she, if she is upset and she is feeling something, she knows we're in the other room. She will call and she will call and she will call until we come over and answer. But she knows that we're there. Yeah. I think it's sometimes hard when we feel like I'm not sure God is there or does God still speak? Well, and especially when scripture itself is not um, is not afraid to kind of frame up God as, as being invisible, as being kind of beyond or or maybe not separate but just like not accessible first and foremost primarily by our senses by our physical senses our sight and our our physical ears and um you know our our ability to feel him physically is is not the primary access primary access the way scripture puts it is through belief Mm -hmm. we we have to what i think it says in hebrews um uh, it's talking about Enoch and, and how his faith pleased God. It says, in order to please God, um, you must believe that he exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I quote that verse, I 
feel an urge to qualify that if you struggle to believe either of those things, it is not that God is displeased. It is just that he takes pleasure in us when we, mm. when we are able to believe that he exists and, and that he rewards our earnest seeking of him. And I think that's part of what makes us uh, more prepared to listen. Mm-hmm. It's like a- answering those questions. Are we ready, ready vessels yeah. to receive the gift of God's voice in our life? Are, are we ready to, to do business with God, to engage in his prompts to move forward in, in the building of the kingdom in the world around us? Like, to, to listen is one thing. To listen with purpose is another. Uh, we, we often talk about it, that our, our culture struggles to have conversations because everyone's always thinking about what they're going to say next. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, people just love to understand things and then do nothing with it. Yeah. And it like, it's very frustrating for me. Um, <laughs> I struggle with it. Um, it's, um, yeah, like we're, our culture so obsessed, for example, with um, being self-aware, but then mm-hmm. they're like, they just don't do anything with it. And it's, yeah, like, it's like the end point is awareness. Yeah, and it's like, mm-hmm. that's not the case. No. Um, it makes me think about James... Um, where he talks about being doers of the word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this yeah, idea yeah. that when, when you have an experience, right? Many of us, many of, I'm sure the people listening to this have had an experience at the very least, uh, the salvation moment of coming to Christ, or maybe if you haven't even, you know, made that choice, um, if you're listening to this, you're probably, you've probably had a sense or you've had a, a, a inclination towards some sort of existence of God. And James talks about when that happens, when, when that word, when, when the, the experience of God comes, we move on it. We, we need to, we need to see ourselves reflected in that experience and, and hold on to it and, and act upon it and, and kind of sink our teeth in it and discover what it's really about. Mm. Um, because he then says, he says, cause the one who doesn't is like one who looks in a mirror and when he turns away, forgets what he looks like. Mm. And I think when we begin to experience God, we get a taste of he exists. He's mm-hmm. real. I mm-hmm. can speak to him. And there's, there, this is a God that has an ability to respond to me in a way that I can perceive. And when we don't, pursue that when we don't stay there and, 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 and desire it and, and allow, you know, what he's doing to, to blossom in us, then we forget. Mm. We just forget. We, we become consumed again by this world, this natural, physical, we can taste it and touch it and see it world. Yeah. And I, I think a important question is why do we want to hear from God? Yeah. Like, is it to prove that he exists? If so, so be it. That's fine. But oftentimes we try to hear from God so we can get guidance and so we can operate on his behalf and so we can become the truest human that we can be so that we can be, so we can be discipled, so we can go undergo spiritual transformation and become Christ-like. And so as Pastor Jason said before, it's like, are we ready vessels? Are we willing to lean into what God has to say? And execute as it says in James, um, and I think that's uh, yeah. I think we need to we need to really consider 
Why are we doing what we're doing? Mm-hmm. Why are we praying? Why do I want to hear from God? Mm-hmm. Is it yeah? Is it just for entertainment? Mm-hmm. Is it just to joke around? Like, and it's like it's not a small thing. Like, it's the God of the universe. Yes, He is Abba Father, but He is also the Creator. Mm-hmm. And so, hearing from Him is significant and it's divine and it's something that shouldn't be taken lightly. And it's quite important. So much of prayer is is relationship. And I think about the way that we interact in our relationships in our day to day. Yeah. And we, especially in how we talk about relationships in our culture and all the books that talk about how to how to maximize your your friendships, your relationships, or your your workplace and all those things. And one of the things they talk about so often is active listening. Yeah. Yeah. And and it might seem like such a like a basic thing, but are we in a space of like active listening with God? Yeah. Are we are we posturing ourselves to really hear and and act? Yeah. Hear and act. Not not hear and respond. Yeah, exactly. Hear and hear act. And do. Like like that that is that's the invitation that, that's given that often falls to the wayside and we're then caught in that place of okay, I heard God and I'm aware of God and I'm good there. Yeah. And the invitation to, to to do, to act, to live in that, man, that's so much more beautiful than simply just, Oh, that's nice that I heard God because then that's actually selfish. That's just for myself. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and and I think too, like the experience of hearing God for many of us can seem so few and far between mm-hmm. because um, I think you were talking about um, Steve before we started the podcast. You were talking about Elijah on Mount Horeb, and yeah, that's that's where the fire and the earthquake and the wind came, and then it was the still small voice. Yeah. Yeah. God wants us to become active listeners, mm-hmm. so He doesn't give us the loud bang. Mm-hmm. He doesn't give us the you know, the, the clear audible voice every time, mm-hmm. you, you know, some of us have, exp- I mean, the city collective was born out of <laughs> a clear audible voice, but o- overall God wants yep. to walk with us. Yep. And so he draws us with the small things and, and we have to, we have to take, we have to learn to be in relationship with God as he is. Mm-hmm. And, and and we mm. talked about that at the beginning, well right? We're, we need to yeah. we need to see God for who He is, believe in Him for who He is, and He's a God that begins with the the small, the mustard seed, yeah. that tiny little voice. And when we when we latch onto that, then like Elijah, you know, we can we can participate with God in crazy stuff mm-hmm. because we've been willing to honor the smallness of His presence, the smallness of His voice, the the little moment in, in nature, the little moment in a relationship or um, a, a passing thought or, you know, a song that came on on the radio, yeah. things like that. And having prayer then move from a place I'm listening to God, so I'm acting with God, and then going to the space of uh, how do I know is it really God? That's right. Uh, there, there's a process to that. Yeah. I think some of the practical things that we can can be doing is entering in a space of discernment and community, putting it against scripture. Does does the thing that we feel like God has spoken into us sit in alignment with the character of God that's presented in scripture? Yeah. Um, is it is it something that when we talk to our 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 leaders and our fellow believers and people in our community that we trust, do we feel like there is a support around that idea that we, as we continue to discern? Uh, we're not called to be like listeners and act irresponsibly. It's actually be listeners and and bring it into community. Mm-hmm. It's often in the letters of of Paul that he's 
saying one thing and he's inviting them to to learn about God and then simultaneously wants them to be engaging in community. Yeah. It's never an isolated experience that the scriptures present. No. Yeah, and I think it's important that we just state we need to discern what we hear from yeah. God. We can't just accept yes. it to be objective yes. fact. Um, I've heard many things. Not all of them are from God. <laughs> um, some of them were just mm-hmm. in my head. Some of them was just bad food from the night before. Like, who knows? <laughs> Maybe too much caffeine. I don't know. But not everything that we believe is um, God speaking to us is necessarily God speaking to us. And so I think just clearly stating discernment is it's always vital. required when you hear from God. And it's... Um, yeah, it's integral. And as Pastor Jason was saying before, it's like bring it to a community because that's a place where we mm-hmm. can test. Because God is mm-hmm. uniform in what he desires and his yeah. will. And so if someone in your community is like, I don't know, man, that doesn't jive with who God is, there's a good chance it's not God. And so it's something to be tested. And again, if you bring it to scripture, yeah. it's does that align with scripture? Yes or no? If it doesn't, then you definitely know it's not God. God is revealed through scripture. That's mm-hmm. how we know, well, part of how we know his yeah. will. Um, and so, yeah, discernment is f- like important and we need to do it and we need to do it in community. Um, I don't know. If you try to discern on by yourself, you end up in an echo yeah. chamber. And so everything just gets validated, which is highly problematic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so we, we wholeheartedly believe for us as a church, God still speaks. We we believe that we're invited to listen Hmm. and that when we hear God's voice, and I want to emphasize when, because I wholeheartedly believe that if you and I are engaging in this space of listening in an honest and vulnerable manner, God speaks. When you hear it, bring it to others, to the space of discernment. And Hmm. not only will it provide some context, maybe understanding how to act out of that, it is also an encouragement. Yeah. What a joy it is when I hear others in our community who feel like they have had God speak truth into their life, how it builds my faith and actually builds my prayer life. Yeah. Mm. It, it doesn't end there and it's not meant to end there, but meant to lead us forward because prayer is, is meant to, to be more than just a one-off moments that we engage in. It's meant to be a practice. It's meant to be an experience. It's meant to be something that we, we move forward in. Yeah. And that practice is something that we, we need to build into our lives and something we need to be building into our communities. Yeah. I, uh, I keep thinking about um, what Jesus says in the gospel of John, that my sheep will know my voice. And, uh, it can often feel like okay, but I I don't I don't think I know every time his voice. So does that mean I'm not really his sheep? And I think the powerful thing about that that uh, allegory metaphor whatever is that the sheep he's talking about, like in that context, in in that cultural context, the intimacy between a sheep and a shepherd, like. That sheep has been raised from birth hearing that one shepherd's voice. And I think I think there's a place we 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 need to recognize that in order to be that sheep mm. that knows that he knows that he knows that it's the shepherd's voice, we need to practice 
the listening. We need to be, and, and we can have other sheep who are you know older and, and more mature and who've gone ahead of us and, and who know what it is to listen and to, and to hear and, and, and can recognize it instantly. We can look to them and, and have them as an example. Um, and then as we grow up into that, that maturity, uh, we can discover a place where that is Jesus. I know for sure right off the bat that's him. For, for you, Steve, what are some ways in which you engage in that practice of, of listening? I know that you love the practice of silence and solitude in particular. Yeah. <laughs> go, out, go, out, go out in the middle of nowhere. Um, listen to God. Yeah. Look well, at nature. I'm going to be honest. Sometimes it's many to avoid people, but yeah. you know, like, it, it's good. No, I, yeah, I love uh, silence and solitude. Um, a big part of it is it creates space within my heart and my mind because there's so little distraction. Mm-hmm. So I love going out to Coltis Lake um, when it's like the peak of winter and no one's around and there's just a bit of snow. And I just sit there with a blanket and I'm just like emptying my mind of stuff that's happened throughout the week and life and whatever it is. And I try to create space within my heart and my mind to hear from God. Yeah. And granted, I don't always hear from God. Sometimes mm-hmm. I feel his presence, mm-hmm. um, but I don't necessarily hear specific words. Mm-hmm. But regardless, it's an opportunity to commune yes. with God one-on-one. And it's regardless, it's great. Now, when God does speak, I write it, I date it, mm-hmm. and I go and test it. And I test it against scripture. I discuss it with my community. Like, do you think this is God's word mm-hmm. or is this me losing the plot? Like, which one is it? Mm. Um, like, like we said before, things need to be tested. Not everything is just off the back God, no matter how pure your intentions are. Like yeah. I'm going out there to specifically spend time with God. Yeah. Even though that is my intention and that is my heart, that doesn't mean everything I hear is of God. Mm. I still have this subconscious will at play. Mm. I am still a broken human. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, a big part of listening to God is creating space in silence, away from distraction, yeah. coming with a heart of surrender and desire to hear from God. And so, yeah. It's like creating space in, in your mind, in yeah. your thoughts, to, so that they're, we're just in such a busy space all the time that we're overwhelmed in our ability to even listen to what God is, is saying. And even if God is speaking, it's so loud all around us that we can't even hear it. Exactly, like like in uh, First Kings at Mount Horeb, um, he spoke with a whisper. Mm-hmm. I want to hear you try and listen to a whisper in the middle of traffic. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. that's pretty hard. Yeah, so it's it's not about Cultus Lake or no. a mountain. It's about finding a practice that yeah. creates space for the emptying of our thoughts and the welcoming of God's voice. Yeah. Yes, um, because we're prayer is the pursuit of a deeper life of union with God. Yeah, that that is that is what we're we're doing in that space. And so if if we hear from Him, great. Um, and if we're in that space of prayer and we've spent time, great, because yeah. our, our our relationship is deepened. And I, so there's there's different practices that we can do around that. And I yeah. think it's important to emphasize the point that. If you're pro- if you're going to approaching uh, sorry if you're going to approach science and solitude or any practice whatever it may be mm-hmm. with the intention of transaction, yeah. it may not go as you had hoped, mm-hmm. yep. right? So it, let's say I 
I go into the practice of sound solitude with the expectation of simply hearing from God so I can get uh, direction. That's still a formal transaction. Mm-hmm. And so if I don't hear from God, I can, I can consider it a failure or I consider it uh, like it just God wasn't answering. But if I flip my perspective in that this is an opportunity to commune with God, regardless if he speaks or not, regardless of if I uh, get what I'm seeking, I still get to spend being the presence of God. And so regardless, that's a win. Mm. Uh, so I think it's very important that we adjust our hearts and minds to approach God with a sense of uh, communion and partnership and friendship yeah. rather mm-hmm. than I'm just going to get what I need and dip. Yeah, yeah. I, I, th- I think it's important to like redefine prayer before we even talk about practice even really quick. Yeah. Like that idea, all those ideas that you're talking about, we talked about pursuing a life of, of deeper union with God and that practice. The practice of prayer. Prayer is simply the medium through which we communicate and communion with, with God. Yeah. Um, that at a baseline is where we, what we hold prayer to be. And then well, the practice of it can look different. And it needs to be broad enough. Our definition of prayer needs to be broad enough that when Paul says pray without ceasing, yeah. that can actually be possible. <laughs> because if prayer is just on my knees in my bedroom, yes, then Paul is asking us to forsake every other aspect of our life. (laughs) (laughs) And that just doesn't work. And I I think that the hope, the desire of God is that we discover a relationship with him where every waking moment, I mean, every sleeping moment is in communion, is is in fellowship with him, uh, with, you know, in, in the spirit, in his presence. Um, and, and in that place, in my experience, you know, what practice, cause there are so many, what specific practice of prayer to implement doesn't have to be something that is always, um, it can be very helpful to like discipline that and say, okay, in the morning, it's going to be some petition, intercession, confession, Thanksgiving, like you can, you can establish that, but I find in in when that relationship is continual and unceasing, right. then I might be stuck in traffic and there is something that happens within traffic that God speaks to me through. Mm-hmm. It's it's there right away because I'm with him. I'm 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 sensing his presence. I'm aware of of my participation in his nature. Yeah. And, uh, and then, and then, you know, something wonderful happens and, and God moves on your behalf or on the, on the behalf of someone you've been praying for mm. and Thanksgiving is there right away. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to set it aside. Yes. You're in relationship yes. with him. So you give thanks. And that, that word relationship comes back to the forefront. Prayer isn't about response. It's about relationship. Every time. And that communic we're communicating and communing with God. And again, my mind is drawn to like the relationships that I hold. It's a both end situation of my allocation of time and my yeah. experience of ongoing uh, companionship. Yeah. There are definitely times where I need to plan, uh, get together with someone because life feels like it has overwhelmed my schedule. And if I don't do that, then I'm not setting aside time. That needs to happen. And then simultaneously, there there are moments where I'm just spending time with someone, and it feels like my relationship with them is flourishing, just yeah. in the natural rhythm of being together. I think that's the same with God. Mm-hmm. I think it's both and. It's setting dedicated time aside to, to intentionally be with God, in order 
to become like him. Yeah. And to partner with him in the world. Because yeah. it's in that partnership that I begin to notice all those things you're talking about. I feel this longing to inter to intercede for, for my brother or my sister. I feel this longing to to confess out of a moment of of my failing. I feel this this pull of thanksgiving that leads me in this moment because I'm partnered with God. I'm becoming more like Jesus. And that's in the partnership and that's alongside the dedicated time I've spent, whether it's in the morning, in the evening, yeah. whatever it looks like in your rhythm. But prayer is a both and. Yeah in our practice of it. And I, and I think sometimes the practice of it can begin um, somewhat pres- prescriptive. And yeah. again, it's, it's a very helpful thing. It's like, you know, if, if I were to come to you, Pastor Jason, and saying I'm having difficulty in my relationship with Steve, mm-hmm. you'd be like, well, <laughs> take him out for coffee, mm-hmm. right? You would give me something concrete yes. to, to do. To, to establish that connection and, and have a moment to talk. But then we're having coffee, and at the end of our, our coffee time or during coffee time, I'm like, hey, we should, you know, hike together once every couple of weeks. I decide that with him. Mm-hmm. You may have prescribed go for yeah. coffee. That's really good, yeah. But yeah. now that I'm with him, yeah. I can together with Steve say, well, let, let's do this. Yeah. and Or Steve can say to me, let's yeah. do this. Yeah, and we can discover that together. I don't know how I feel about hiking at the moment. I'm, a little, <laughs> I'm pretty unfit. <laughs> but... Yeah. No, and I think that's a great point because it's God's guidance mm-hmm. that allows us to grow his like grow a similar heart to his. That's right. Yeah. And it's just that's uh that's what it means to be like someone created in his image and truly made in his image. And I, yeah, I think that's sort of the goal as a Christian, as mm-hmm. a disciple, to be made in God's image, to execute his kingdom on earth and to live how he intended us to live. Yeah. So, And so for someone that's maybe listening that hasn't prayed for a while, feels like prayer has felt uh, unsatisfying or unfulfilling, mm-hmm. uh, my, my heart and my invitation to you would be in this practice of prayer, uh, find small beginnings. Yeah. Whether it's uh, on the drive to work, on the drive home, whether it's right before you sleep or in the morning, engage in prayer, not in religious uh, practice, but out of relational practice mm. to, to find space, to empty out our minds, even if it is for two minutes and listen yeah, mm-hmm. and invite the Holy Spirit to speak mm-hmm. and have that that posture that the psalmist gives us, that we enter his his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, entering to his presence with that posture and seeing if that practice of prayer that was maybe frustrating at one time might become foundational this time. Yeah. And you can know that if you have a desire to pray, God has already revealed himself mm-hmm. to you. True. You can can trust that your desire to seek him is not out of a void. It's God is with you, has spoken to you and revealed himself to you. And um, remember those moments where he has revealed himself. Go back to it. Revisit Mm -hmm. who God has revealed himself to be and um, stay there and see where he takes you. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, thank you for that uh, closing thought, Sam. Um, so, yeah, 
That's our conversation on prayer. Thank you, Pastor Jason, for joining. Sam, always a pleasure. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, we've got some resources available um, online on our website, in our journal, and some show notes. But to wrap up, I'm going to ask Pastor Jason if you can close in prayer. Would love to. Father, thank you for the gift of relationship with you for the gift of being able to commune and pursue a deeper life in union with you. What a gift that is for each of us uh, listening and conversing today. I pray that our hearts would be drawn to this longing and this desire to, to lean into this practice of prayer in the ways that we have experienced heartbreak and hurt and confusion around it. We just pray that there is peace and reconciliation and wholeness that comes around it, not by our strength or our strategy, but by your presence and by your grace. Uh, May prayer become a normal practice in our lives, one that leads us to deeper relationship with you each and every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.